Okay. If you have Bibles with you, would you please open them to Ephesians chapter 3? Last week, I finished an eight-week series of messages on the Father's love. And uh, you can find recordings of those messages uh, online at our church website, uh, charlottetowncommunitychurch.com. And I have a personal website called thomaszawacki.com. You can find copies of, of those messages at either website. So I'm taking us on a journey inspired by 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 1, which says, Pursue love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Powerful verse. I think there's a progression in that verse. So, personally, Tom, I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to do. I think that what God offers to us, and I can't think of any good reason why I should live anything less than that. And not only do I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Spirit, I feel like part of what he's called me to do is to help other people live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. I really want to help people do that. 20 years of experience pastoring prophetic-type people has taught me that the best way to get from here to there is love. Man, love is the best way. It's the best path to get from living a natural life in human flesh to living a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first step is that we would be a people who live loved, that we would live loved. And that's what the last eight weeks of messages were all about, that we would live in the full and secure knowledge of the fact, the determined fact that the Heavenly Father loves us lavishly and extravagantly. And it's astonishing to me, it's just stunning that so few of us are convinced of that truth, that we just don't know that He loves us. And it's, it changes everything. If we can live lives secure in the knowledge of his love for us, it changes everything about how we look at life. It changes how we love other people. It changes how we deal with the trials and circumstances of life. We need to know that we're loved. So that's the first step, pursuing love. That we would become a people secure in the knowledge that the Father loves us lavishly and extravagantly. The main verse for that is 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Powerful verse. So the last eight weeks I've been laying that foundation. Step two is that we would, now that we're people who live loved, or we at least have that foundation laid, that we would become a people who live love. That... If the last leg of the journey was vertical, the next leg, where we'll go next, will be horizontal. That we would be a people who love. That we love one another. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Can you see how this has to be step two after step one? If we, if we live loved, if we live secure in the knowledge of his love for us, it's so much easier to love other people. If I don't know that he loves me, I have a hard time loving Nadine, all my kids, or any of you guys. I really do, it's just because I'm a broken person. That's how I roll. <laughs> but when I know that he loves me, boy, it's easy. We love because he first loved us. And Jesus gave us a new commandment. I'm not sure if he could use any more powerful language. When he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the test. That's the dipstick test. That's the standard. 
That's how we know if we're doing this whole church thing right. We love one another. You know, we could stop there. If we could just love God and know that he loves us, if we could love one another, boy, we'll go a long way to fulfilling his calling and his purpose in our lives. Without those two things, why do we do this? Just join some other club, you know, I don't know, Habitat for Humanity, the Lions Club. They all do good things, but they can do those things without loving God or loving one another. You can hang out with them, you can have fun with them. This is the defining difference for us, that we pursue love, we eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and we especially prophecy. That's kind of the thing that sets us apart. It makes a difference. I think it's necessary. So the first step is to live loved. The second step is to live loved. The third step will be training in spiritual gifts. Like anything else, you need some training, you need some help, you need some education. In the Old Testament, they had what they called schools of the prophets. This is where more seasoned prophets took less experienced prophets under their wings, and they would teach them how to do this stuff. Right? It's good to study our gifts. We get better at anything that we practice. And so that's the next step. And I, so I want to cult, cultivate a loving environment where we're secure in God's love for us, where we're secure in our love for one another. I think that intersection of love is the best place. It's the sweet spot to experiment and practice and explore and learn and grow and make mistakes and how to use the gifts of the Spirit. Would, if you are in this place of secure love, wouldn't you be willing to risk and maybe even fail if you knew you were safe, if you knew you were secure? I think, I'm convinced, <laughs> that this is the healthiest path forward, path forward. And so, I really believe that it's possible to operate in spiritual gifts without violating love or integrity. Now, too many of us, those of us who have been in church for a long time, we've seen spiritual gifts in operation. But it's been at the expense of loving people. It's been at the expense of integrity. I'm, I'm, I believe there's a better way. God gave us those gifts. There's got to be a healthy way to operate in those gifts. I think if we have a foundation and an atmosphere of love, it'll be healthier. Now, look, spiritual gifts can be weird. And they can be messy. And they'll often take you outside your box. They'll take you outside your comfort zone. They'll take you beyond your sense of logic and reason. But it's still God. <laughs> He's really big. And his ways are not our ways. And sometimes he does things that blows our mind. It's good. He ought to be bigger. God ought to be bigger than my logic and my reason. If he can only operate within the confines of my logic and my reason, he's not big enough to be my God. Right? So I expect him to blow my mind every once in a while. I expect him to, to rock my world and blow up my God box and just show me how awesome he is. Now, the option that many churches take is, well, we'll just ignore the spiritual gifts. We'll do the first two things. We'll, we'll focus on the Father's love. We'll focus on loving one another. We'll give up the gifts. But if you do that, then you've got to somehow contend with 1 Corinthians 14.1, where it says, Pursue love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I've heard that phrase, eagerly desire, as this. Lust after. That's the kind of desire it's speaking about. Spiritual gifts. And of all the gifts, 
I want you to especially focus on the messiest of them all. <laughs> Prophecy. <laughs> the one that really messes with people. This is what Paul says. Pursue love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. If we're going to ignore the gifts, then somehow we have to reconcile the fact that this is in the book. It's still in there. You could black it out with a marker, but it's still in somebody else's book. So, for the next few weeks, um, we're going to, next Sunday we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary. The Sunday after that, the 25th, I'm going to speak about um, our parent organization, Vineyard Canada, because I think most of you, are, a good portion of us, are not familiar with Vineyard Canada. Kind of like set the table a little bit for the guys who from Vineyard Canada who will come in the next weekend uh, of December 2nd. And then on December 9th, I'm going to begin a new series of messages that will follow on uh, with the messages um, I shared about the Father's love. So if the, the, the messages of Father's love was all about living loved, then this message, this next series of messages is going to be on living love, love towards one another. So I'll begin that on the 9th. So that leaves me with today. So I had this one Sunday that, you know, really, you know, it was kind of by itself. And it's on a significant day. It's on November 11th. And it's, it's a significant day in our culture here. It's a significant day where Nadine and I come from in the States. But for me personally, November 11th, um, is a significant day. And so um, today I want to share with you a message simply titled 1111. Um, it's the account of a supernatural experience uh, in the Holy Spirit that I had back on November 11th, uh, 2005. Okay, so if you have If you have Bibles with you and you're still opening up to Ephesians chapter 3, you can follow along um, as I begin reading. This is Paul's prayer for the, for the Ephesians. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's 11 o'clock. Let's take a moment of silence. Please stand.
Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you for your reverence and your respect. So in verses 18 and 19, Paul prays for the Ephesians that they may, and I quote, have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So keep your finger there. I'll come back to that at the end of our message. First, let me say a few things about visions. I see visions. There, I said it. It's recorded. There's documented evidence. And a room full of witnesses. You can use this against me. For the past ten years or so, God's been opening my eyes to see with increasing clarity into the realm of the Spirit. I could see as a child, but, you know, we just didn't have language for it then. My parents didn't have a box for it. I didn't have a box for it. I was a little kid. And so I would see visions, and, and they just labeled it what they had language for. They called it daydreaming. And daydreaming was bad. And it was especially bad when I would go on these amazing adventures when I was supposed to be doing English or math or spelling or whatever else. And so they told me vision that they told me that daydreaming was bad and we should stop it. And so I did. We just, you know, I don't know, I just kinda of turned it off. I was a little kid. I just do what I was told, right? And so for many years this gift kinda of just sat dormant on the shelf. And then back in November of two thousand and two, God began the process of redeeming the gift by slowly reopening my spiritual eyes. God speaks to me parabolically. He speaks to me metaphorically, with analogy. He speaks to me in pictures. And so I've taken, especially the last decade of my life, to study my gift and to practice using it. And so, like I said earlier, with practice, anytime you practice something, you start to get better at it. And so I've gotten better at interpreting and understanding and then making application to the pictures and their meanings. Another way to say that is I'm learning how God speaks to me. And it's been good. Now, I need to tell you, I'm not an expert at this. I'm a novice by far. John Paul Jackson says that he's in kindergarten when it comes to spiritual gifts. If that's the case, then I'm a spiritual amoeba, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just, you know, really tiny, little, but I'm willing to share what, I, what little I have if you want some of it. I'm willing to share it with you. The other thing I should tell you is I'm not special. God doesn't show me visions because I'm good. He shows me visions because He's good. It's because He's extraordinary and He's kind. And like the Word of God says, He's rich in mercy. I'm not good. X Nadine, X my kids. But God is very good. And he loves me extravagantly. Having eyes that see and having ears that hear spiritually have enhanced our relationship. Can you understand how that would be? Right? If you could hear God better, if you could see God better, it can, it can enhance the relationship. And it has for me. It really has. I love dreams and visions. Uh, they've returned to me awe and wonder 
and mystery to what had become a rather dry and lifeless academic and intellectual faith. Um, now, some of you have been to my house. You've seen my study. You've seen the bookshelves that I have. I got lots of books, right? Tons of books. I have, I have great respect for academics. However, I am not at all content to live an academic and intellectual faith only. I'm not willing to park and stop there anymore. I'm not willing to camp there. I'm not willing to build my house there. It's dry. It's lifeless. It's contentious. It's argumentative. It's a beginning point. It's not an ending point. God didn't come to give us a book. He came to give us himself. I'm not satisfied to stop at the book if it means I can't have him too. I want to know God. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him personally. I want to know him experientially. So a decade ago when I began to embrace dreams and visions and the supernatural, this awe and this wonder and this mystery seemed to make God bigger to me. He, was, he could expand beyond my bookshelves. It was amazing. I've learned, and this is where I stand, and you probably need to know this, I will embrace a theology that makes God bigger and more powerful while making man smaller and man less powerful. And I will hold suspect any theology that makes God smaller and less powerful while making man bigger and man more powerful. I hold those versions of the study of God suspect because he's big he's amazing we exist only by his great love and his mercy and so at the same time one of the most liberating features about this is I've grown to become comfortable not having all the answers I think all the books that are written and all the theologies that we fight so hard over is this desperate need for control. I've been a pastor a long time. I know lots of pastors. Let me tell you a secret. We're really insecure. <laughs> we really are. And most of us are fighting with all our lives because we want our earthly father's validation. Oh, that he would say that he's proud of us and that we've done a good job. We're really insecure. We hate to be in a position where we don't have the answers, because you see what? We get paid to have the answers. And so it's hard. It's really hard to not have a theological box that I could just plug your problem into and give you an answer. But you know what? Life is not that simple. Anybody with an ounce of integrity knows that. It's just not that simple. Life is pretty messy. And so embracing a big God who likes to blow up my God boxes, and he's beyond my ability to comprehend, I've learned to live much more comfortably with this statement. I don't know. <laughs> Man, there were times I just don't know. I'm just not going to have the answer. I will, if you have a problem, I will listen. I will be compassionate. I'll pray for you. I may not be able to solve your problem, but we'll go to the one who could. You may have questions about the word, you may have questions about church, and there are going to be times I'm just going to have to humbly and just honestly admit, I don't know. I can't tell you. 
I, I don't remember when it happened, but I remember the feeling of it. Oh, I don't have to know everything. And I'm not a failure because I don't know everything. God still loves me. And I've found, that if I can be honest about that with people, you guys find it a bit more integral. You know? It's just the truth. And so having a big God makes me more comfortable saying, I don't know. He knows. It's okay that he knows if I, and I don't know. He'll let me know if I need to know. It helps me to trust him more. I trust him. I trust his goodness and his kindness in my life. It keeps me humble. And you know what? <laughs> I could use a whole lot more humility in my life. Humility is my friend. Humility keeps me out of trouble. And when I get into trouble, it gets me out of trouble. So, I have to, you know, frankly, I still struggle sharing visions. Um, it makes me feel vulnerable. And something inside of me is concerned. If I tell people what I've seen, they're going to think I'm crazy. You know? And some of you might feel that way when I finish telling today's story. Um, and I know that in the past, I've shared too much because of my pride. Ooh, look how cool I am. I get to see these things. Don't you wish you were like me? You know? <laughs> And I know that I've shared too little because of pride. I don't want people to judge me or reject me or treat me harshly. So I'm you know, just trying to be as real as I can here. Sometimes it's still hard to share this stuff. And it's probably the reasons why I haven't put some of this stuff in print, even though God's repeatedly told me that I'm supposed to, and I hope that'll change soon. So I said all that to begin to say this. On November 11, 2005, seven years ago today, I had a profound experience with the Lord. And I want to share it with you. Matter of fact, every February 11 since, I've had significant experiences with the Lord. And I fully expect this afternoon when we get home that he'll meet with, meet with me again. I don't know that for certain, but I'm going to make myself available. He showed up every other November 11th. I'm thinking he might show up again today. And so... In the summer and the fall of 2005, I began uh, to notice the number 11. I mean, everywhere I looked, I seen 11s. The number 11, the number 111, and the numbers 1111. Has that ever happened to you? Like, every time you look at the clock, it has this one specific time on it. Or, you know, it, it was like road signs, or digital clocks, or TV channels, or dominoes. No matter what it was, there was an 11 there. And I'm thinking... You know, maybe, maybe God's trying to tell me something. I, I didn't know what it meant, but it was happening so often. I'm not even sure, sure I told Nadine about it, but I was just like, wow, there, I've seen 11s again. There'd be a truck in front of me and have 11-11 on its license plate. Yeah, the address on somebody's home. And so I thought, well, maybe it's a scripture verse. Maybe it's a chapter and verse. Chapter 11, verse 11. And so I went through scripture, and I found some great 11-11 verses and, and some of them are amazing. I mean, you know, I don't want to take time to read them all now, but Deuteronomy 11.11 is powerful. Um, First Chronicles 11 speaks about David's mighty men. Um, Proverbs 11.11. John 11.11 is uh, Jesus talking about waking up Lazarus from the dead. Um, my favorite is Luke 11.11. Uh, the beginning of verse 11, this is what it says. I mean, there's great, some great verses, but at the time, none of them resonated to me. You know when you read something, and there's kind of like that, that witness of the spirit of truth, something, that aha moment, is like, oh, 
That's what it is. You, you just know that you know. Well, I looked at all these verses back then, and I didn't, never got that feeling. It's like, well, that's good, but it ain't really doing anything for me. In years since, and even now, I go through them, it's like they speak profoundly to me. But back then, you know, I was looking at chapter and verses that didn't work for me. Let me read Luke 11, 11, 13, because it's one of my favorite. I think it speaks about the heart of God. And it speaks about the heart of God concerning gifts of the Spirit. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's a good dad. If we ask him for gifts, he'll give us good gifts. Some in the church are so afraid of getting demons. I'm not afraid of getting demons. I have a good dad. I ask him to give me good things. I trust he'll give me good things and not bad things. He's a much better dad than I am. I would never give demons to my kids. So, anyway. Some really good 11-11 verses. Now, three weeks before November 11, 2005, <clears throat> I'm at a, I got a prophetic word from a man who's now a friend of mine, Aaron Evans, but I barely knew Aaron back then. Um, on October 22, 2005, um, I had just spent a week of training in Bartlett, New Hampshire, attending a Streams Ministries teacher training course with Nadine and four members of our church. As I was leaving the hotel, I saw Aaron across the room, so I go over to say goodbye. We, we kind of were acquaintances at that point and didn't know each other real well, but I knew him well enough to just walk out with saying goodbye would be kind of rude, so I walk over to him. And before I could reach him, I might be where Tom is sitting right now. Aaron looks at me, he puts, puts his hand out like this. He says, 11-11. He said, something good's going to happen on 11-11, November 11. He says, you give me a call on the 12th. And it just like hit me in the chest. It's like, boom, it just stopped me in my tracks. It's like, he had no idea that I'd been seeing 1111s and trying to figure out what it means. It wasn't a verse. It was a date. It's like, oh man, I never considered that 1111 was a date. It's like, hmm. So the spiritual weight on his words just impacted me significantly. I thanked him. I said goodbye. I, I recorded it quickly in a notebook in my journal. And I headed out the door. You know, so for weeks I thought God was trying to tell me something with the 11, 11, 11s, but I wasn't sure what it was. It was a scripture verse, I thought. Then I realized it wasn't. It was, it was a date. It was November 11th. So I got my bags and headed out the door, and, and uh, there was a, a van full of our church members waiting for me. We had to you know, get takeoff for the airport. And so while we're in the van, I... I'm looking at my date book, and I realize I'm going to just block out that day, right? I got, I'm seeing all these 11-11s, and I get a word from this guy who's really gifted, and I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to spend the whole day in worship and prayer and listen to God, see what he has to tell me. And I look at my calendar, and I realize I was committed to officiate a wedding on that day. I'm thinking, oh, man. <laughs> I'd spent weeks working with a young couple, the groom's parents are close friends. They're leaders in the church. The wedding was 17 days away. There was no way I could bail out on these guys, you know, the last minute. So I figured if something good was going to happen on November 11th, it was going to have to happen in Whitefish, Montana, where this wedding was. Now, God is so good. He gives encouraging signs. I needed encouraging signs. 
I got to tell you what, you know, all these years later, I am so much more comfortable with this stuff. Back then, man, it, I was just like one mind-blowing event after another. So if I needed any encouragement from God that I was in the right place at the right time, get this. This is a destination wedding. The couple had just a few close friends and family members um, at this log cabin lodge in Whitefish, Montana. It was very close to the YWAM base where the two of them had met. And we were going to, we drove up on the 9th, so it gave the family time to prepare the meeting room and they could enjoy some time together. And the plan was to go back on the 12th. I was riding with the groom's parents. And because there was going to be so many days, they gave me, you know, they gave me a cabin, a private cabin that I could meet in. Now, if I needed any encouragement from God that I was in the right place at the right time, get this. At this wedding, this small destination wedding party, there are 22 people. There are 11 men and 11 women. Okay? There are 11 from his side and 11 from her side. Both the bride and the groom had traveled extensively for YWAM. Yes. He'd been to 11 nations, she'd been to 11 nations. I'm thinking, I'm not a real smart man, but I think this is the right place for me to be on November 11th. God has a wonderful way of just like setting the stage. It helped build my faith. Can you see how that would help build my faith? I don't know what's going to happen, but it was, this was encouraging to me. You know, sometimes it's the little things that get our attention. The usual and natural things are suddenly revealed as unusual and supernatural. Let's see. How interesting that God would do this for me at a wedding, right? It's the closest earthly understanding that we have to what covenant relationship is, what covenant relationship is with God. It's the closest picture we have to understanding it. He's just so kind. He just set the table so wonderfully for me. Every doubt I had, questioning if I was indeed in the right place, had just been completely washed away. I was surrounded by 11s. I was in absolutely the right place at the right time. This was a divine appointment from God. And so interestingly, my experience actually began on sundown the night before, on November 10th. And I want to read, I have, I have my journal with me. The journal I used that, that day. So nice to have all my books unpacked again, I could find it. So this is the journal I had from that day. It's nice to find it again. I just want to read an excerpt from it. So this is at 10.15 p.m. on November 10, 2005. I write, I can feel the presence of God. I'm in this cabin by myself. I can feel the presence of God. The room seems to be alive with the activity of heaven. I feel as if I'm not alone. I feel both in a mixture of excitement and fear. 11.11 is less than two hours away. Something has changed in the spirit. An intensity and anticipation. I can feel it even now. It was powerful. Um, I brought two books with me. I brought my journal, this, this very journal here, and my Bible. The only other reading material I brought with me was a, was a newsletter that I get from uh, White Dove Ministries. It was their November 2005 e- email newsletter. The leader of the ministry, Paul Keith Davis, and his wife, Wanda, had ministered in our church many times in Washington, and over the past few years. Um, and through hosting events with them, we'd become friends. 
I have great respect for Paul Keith. So I, I eagerly looked forward to his newsletters that came in each month. So it arrived the night before we left, so I printed it out and I threw it in my bag. Uh, he had written a, a great article in that newsletter uh, titled, As It Was With Moses. Um, it was well written, and, and sometimes you read things, you can just feel a sense of anointing on it. So, so I read and reread that article. There was life on it for me. It spoke about Joshua. It spoke about his commissioning, and it spoke about the visitation that he had in Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 5. So I spent the next hour that night uh, just reading and studying um, Joshua chapters 1 and 5. Joshua 5 verses 13 to 15 really impacted me powerfully. Let me read them to you. This is Joshua's visitation. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does the Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are now standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So here's another excerpt from my journal. As I'm reading those verses in Joshua chapter 5, I realize that I'm actually barefoot. Now, if you, some of you know me already, right? If I come to your house, we have our custom here, we remove our shoes, right? But I always bring my slippers with me. My feet get cold really easy. So in the winter, I'll have thick socks on and I'll always have my slippers on. My wife, she loves to walk around barefoot. I'm almost never barefoot. For whatever reason, I'm reading those chapters, I'm sitting at this little kitchenette table in, in, the, um, in the cabin, and I realized as I read that, I'm actually barefoot. It was so unusual. And it's like this, this holy, intense presence of God. The silver took me. I was afraid to open my eyes. The presence of the Lord had fallen so heavenly, heavily in the room that really all I could do was hide my face in my hands and shake and cry. It was like the fear of the Lord that hit me. And I just stayed in that posture for a long time. So I'm sitting at this kitchen at table, all alone in the cabin, and I could sense the powerful sense of the Lord's presence just behind me and off to the left. Maybe like where the amp is from where I'm sitting right now. That's what it felt like. And it was so strong and it was so intense that I was afraid to look. You know, I just kind of kept my hand, my face buried in my hands and after a while, I kind of you know, got enough courage to kind of peek over my left shoulder like this. And I was both disappointed and relieved to not see anything there. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, whew, oh man. <laughs> so even though I didn't see anything, there still remained a powerful sense of God's presence in the room. So I went to bed just before mid midnight, expecting to have some kind of encounter with God the next day. So after that late night encounter with the presence of God, I, I slept very well. Um, I, but I was awoken at 6.49 uh, to the sound of the cabin door opening 
and someone calling my name out loud, Tom. That's a small cabin. You, you know, you're in the bed, and you can see where the door is, and you can see where the kitchen is. You know, I'm 649, I, I heard the door open. And somebody said, Tom! Like that. And I, so I just sat up right in bed, and I looked around. There was nobody there. The door was still locked. I was like, man, it's odd. I just go, go back to sleep. And I have to tell you, it wasn't until yesterday, preparing this message, that it ever dawned on me. I wonder if there are any 649 verses that might have relevance. I mean, this is 10 years later, or 7 years later. And so I, I decided to take a look. You know, there are only two verses in Scripture that are chapter 6, verse 49. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And the, one, the Old Testament one is First Chronicles 6, 49. And it speaks about Aaron and his descendants and the responsibility that they have in the most holy place. Right? There's the, the outer court, the inner court, the holy place, the most holy place. So First Chronicles 6.29, talk about the most holy place, this very intimate place with God. And in Mark 6.49, it speaks about how terrified the disciples were when Jesus came walking to them on the water. I'm thinking, ooh, the presence of God in the most holy place and feeling terrified. Yeah, both of those kind of describe what I was feeling you know, the night before. Now, if you remember, I mean, this sense of terror that I had. I talked last week or the week before about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, right? That's not the highest place that we can attain in a relationship with Him. It's the entry point. The highest place is intimate friendship with Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This was a beginning for me. And I could tell you in His presence, in some ways His presence was terrifying. Wonderful. A friend of mine would say, scary wonderful. And that would probably describe it well for me. It was a beginning place. It was also a place of calling. There was a sense of a call that happened. Someone came in the door and they called out my name. I think it was God. So, I'd gone back to sleep. I remember I woke up with an encouraging dream. I don't take time to talk about that now. And I had a few responsibilities that morning. Um took care of them, and then I returned to my cabin after lunch. I had a few hours before the wedding was going to begin, and I wanted to take advantage of them. And so I returned to that same kitchenette table as the night before. I removed my socks and my shoes. Figured, hey, it worked last night, might work again today. Thought it was maybe a good idea. And I began to study the Word. You know, removing my socks and shoes, it was just, it was a physical reminder for me of the night before. It, it served to remind me that in this place and at this, that time, uh, it was holy ground. And so I took time to study and meditate on scripture. I meditated on verses from the prophet Isaiah, verses that had been special to me, had spoken to me in the past. That have been significant to me for years. Verses like Isaiah 61, 1-7. The same words Jesus spoke in the synagogue when he began his ministry. What I sometimes refer to as his mission statement from Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Right? Proclaim liberty to the captives. The year of the Lord's favor. Great verses. Also in Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, which speaks about the seven spirits of God. These are great verses. They still carry significant weight in my life. The other thing I did is I took some time to study Scripture on what I call the great number twos of the Bible. 
These were men who had served others faithfully and who had been promoted or graduated to positions of leadership themselves. So I studied what Joshua was to Moses and what Elisha was to Elijah and what Peter was to Jesus and what Timothy was to Paul. I studied their commissionings. I have the references here, but they're all in the book. And so at this point, having studied and meditated on Scripture, I could feel the presence of God in the room again. And sometimes that's how it works for me. I worship, I pray, I meditate on the Word, I study the Word, and then I can feel the presence of God. I can tell you what, other times, He just shows up. You know, it's not like I have to do anything to prepare myself. He just shows up, boom, He's there. So it was like the night before, I was still at that same table, and I could sense the presence of the Lord behind me and to the left. And, and I'm, I, I changed my, my approach this time, instead of kind of cowering, I decided there's something hot in that spot right over there on the floor. I'm going to lay on my face right there. That's kind of what Joshua did in chapter 5, right? He went, he went down to his face. I'm thinking this is probably a good idea. So I laid in the middle of the room on that exact spot. And that's when things really got interesting. Now, I'm not suggesting a pattern, a method, or a system here. I'm just telling you what happened to me. I offer you the details of this experience as honestly as possible. I don't pretend to fully comprehend it, and as time goes on, I feel less of a need to defend it. I'm just telling you my story as honestly as I can, just as these events took place. So I lay there on the floor in the cabin, and in the presence of God, and then I don't know how else to describe it, except that suddenly I'm taken into the Spirit. I wasn't in the Spirit, and then I was in the Spirit. I was in the natural realm, <laughs> then I was in the spiritual realm. John says it this way in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2 goes on to say, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So you read those two verses, you've got to believe in verse 1, he wasn't in the Spirit, because he begins verse 2 by saying, And at once I was in the Spirit. That's pretty well described what happened to me. I wasn't in the Spirit, and then I was in the Spirit. I was in the natural realm, and then I wasn't. At least my spirit wasn't. So in the spirit, this is what I see. I see the Lord standing before me. And I'm facing him on my knees, and I have my arms out like this. And the Lord has a sword, and he raises it above his head, and this is what he says to me. He says, I consecrate you, and I set you apart for myself. And with that, he takes the sword and he passes it right through me, like right through the top of my head, right down through the center of my being, and right, right down between my legs. You would think it had just sliced me right in half. It went right through me. But it didn't, it didn't separate me in half like this. Kind of like jello. You ever cut jello and kind of like as the knife goes through, it kind of comes back to itself? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of what it was like. 
The knife went through me. And I knew it just had a profound impact on my being. I knew that it had, you know, as it passed through my head, it was changing my mind. As it went through my heart, it was changing. It was changing my, my passions. As it went through my midsection, I knew it had some impact on my courage. As it went through my gut. And as it passed all the way through me, I knew that there was some type of impact and change that was going to happen in the way that I could relate intimately with God. Next, the Lord put a sword in each of my hands. Now Ephesians 6, 17 says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The word there, verse 17, it's a Greek word, rhema. And it means the spoken word of God, as opposed to the written word of God. Another way you could say it, it could represent prophetic words. The prophetic spoken word, the revelatory word of God. So he put a sword in each of my hands. Now, there may be other meaning to that, but i got to tell you what. <laughs> the level and the operating of, of prophetic gifts in my life have changed profoundly since that day. So he puts a sword in each of my hands. And then he placed his thumbs in my eyes. Kind of reminded me of Jesus putting mud in the blind man's eyes to open them. I think he was opening my spiritual eyes that day. You know, in John chapter 9, when Jesus put the mud in the guy's eyes, this is what he says. This is what Jesus says about this, that man. He says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That makes me wonder, you know, is that why he did it to me? So I believe God was opening my spiritual eyes, and if that wasn't enough, he puts his mouth over my mouth, and he breathes into me. You see why I feel vulnerable sharing this stuff? This is what happened to me. In John 20, 22, Jesus, it says of Jesus that with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I got to tell you what, when he breathed into me, I was undone. My whole being went numb. It was as if the circuit breaker in my brain just popped. I was completely overwhelmed by the breath of God, by the presence of God, by the intensity of his spirit. And I just lost consciousness. I was in the spirit and unconscious. I don't know how this works. But that's what it felt like. I don't even know how long I was out. But at some point... I finally recover. I don't want to say I wake up. I, I don't know. I don't have language for it. But I recover from being this sense of being overwhelmingly undone by the breath of God entering me. So I'm not sure how long it took, but when I did recover, I was even more amazed. <laughs> so eventually I open my eyes, and this is what I see. I see the mouth of God, this giant mouth of God right in my face. Now look. If I was going to make up a story just to try and impress you spiritually, I would come up with something different than this, all right? I would come up with something vastly more relatable that wouldn't make me seem, sound so foolish, right? So if I was just trying to impress you, like, ooh, look how spiritual I am, I don't know. I got a golden fax from heaven. I see this giant mouth of God open in front of me. It's wide, and he just overtakes me. He consumes me. <laughs> I get swallowed by God. That's what happens. <laughs> he swallows me. Takes me right in, and he swallows me. 
And I never really understood that. And years later, and it was just the last couple of years, I, I told the story, and a guy said to me, you know what that means? I was like, no, I really don't know what that means. He said, let me tell you. He says, it means you're not lukewarm. I said, huh? He says, yeah. Revelation 3, it says that if we're lukewarm, God will spit us out of his mouth. Right? He'd rather that we're hot or cold. He said, he swallowed you. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that kind of helps me. So God swallows me, and I don't descend into his digestive system, because he doesn't have one that I know of, but I go into his heart. I go down into the heart of God. Scripture, Luke 6.45 says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I find myself swallowed by God on November 11th, Whitefish, Montana, in this little cabin, and I'm in his heart, and I have to tell you, it is the most exhilarating sense of freedom, and of liberty and of extravagant love I've ever experienced in my whole life. It was extraordinarily freeing. I felt complete, uninhibited, limitless freedom. I felt safe. I felt totally secure in his love, like I'd never been loved before. So here I am inside the heart of God, and I'm, I'm flying, I'm dancing, I'm twirling. I'm spinning with just inexpressible, overwhelming joy. And so, in this place, it's so vast, it's so incredibly big, that the entire universe easily fits within the heart of God. I could see the universe from end to end, and there was still room. I was flying through galaxies and star clusters and far reaches in the universe. The colors were amazing. Incredible reds and blues and brilliant bright white. Language fails <laughs> to communicate it. Light and color were all around me and everything was alive. It was like everything that you touched or encountered was fully alive. The atmosphere had life in it. And with all of that, it, at the same time, it was strangely peaceful exhilarating and peaceful all at the same time. And it still wasn't over. So as I'm flying through the heart of God, there's a sense of knowing and understanding being there. It's not like things had to be explained. Just understanding would come. One of the sevenfold spirits of God in Isaiah 11.2 is a spirit of understanding. Well, it was operating. So there were things I understood. And so I find myself flying throughout the universe within the very heart of God, galaxies, star clusters, blah, blah, blah. And so at one point, I'm flying by what looks like planets, multiple planets. There were, and on these planets were various categories of angels or heavenly beings. Um, and I knew that these um, well, heavenly beings is probably a better word than, than angels. I'm not sure that they fit into that category, but they were large and they were white, man. They were pure white, like marble statues. They were huge, like huge spires. And looking at them, I was just suddenly filled with the knowledge that they, these heavenly beings carried the purposes of God and the destinies of men and women. That's what they carried. And that they were ready and eager to be sent. 
Some of them were very old. And they carried the destinies of, and spiritual inheritances of generations. I understood a few things. I knew that some of these beings had been sent to people who initially had received them, but they wearied of the responsibility and laid them down. I knew that others of these beings belonged to those who had served faithfully their whole lives and now their work was finished and they were waiting to be reassigned. I knew that there were some there that had never yet been assigned. Some because it wasn't yet time, others because it was simply because no one had ever asked for them. They were there, they, they represented the purposes of God, the destinies of men and women, and they, they, they were there, dormant, stagnant, because no one ever asked for them. I'm not trying to build a theology around this, I'm just telling you my story. This is what I experienced. James 4.2 came, came to mind where it says, you do not have because you do not ask. So floating above these planets, looking at these majestic beings, I knew that some of them belonged to me. And that's why I was there. I was their assignment. And so with a boldness of freedom that was so out of character for me, but it was just a reaction to the atmosphere that I was in, I felt so free, so uninhibited. No shame, no guilt, no pressure. It was just freedom. And there was a safety and confidence about being in this place. So secure in his love for me. There was no shame to ask. There was no hesitation to ask. So I asked the Lord to give me what was mine. And instantly, three of these heavenly beings launched forth like, like bullets of light. I don't know how to explain it. Just brilliant streaks of white light. And they hit me in the chest. Boom, boom, boom. Like that. And maybe it's because there were so many of them waiting to be assigned or because I felt such a high level of safety and security. I'm not sure why. But I said, Lord, give me more. <laughs> give me a double portion. And with that, five more get released. Boom, 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 boom. And these white streaks of light go into me and my body just kind of reacts to it. And the third time I said, Lord, even more. And three more get released. Boom, boom, boom. They nailed me right in the chest. Eleven in all. Isn't that interesting? Eleven heavenly beings carrying the purposes of God and the destinies of men and women have been dispatched. They've been assigned to me. And so the scene kind of changes in this vision. And as I stood there floating, kind of, some heavenly being flies up to me. And they, play, they place gold epaulets on each shoulder. You know what that is? You usually see them on uniform. It's kind of like the, the type that would be worn by naval officers, naval captains. Next, the second heavenly being comes and he approaches and he places a purple sash across my chest from my right shoulder down to my left hip. A final heavenly being approached and placed a white naval cap hat on my head. It was white and had a very shiny black brim on it. And it was then that I remembered, oh, this is Veterans Day in the States. November 11th is Veterans Day in the U.S., just like it's Remembrance Day here in Canada. 
And then I heard the word go. As I looked around, I could see planets and stars and comets, comets in the heart of God, very alive, very active place. And I could feel a great rumbling. All of creation seemed to be shaking. And suddenly I hear the voice of God command in a loud voice. He says, go! And with it, I just find myself launched from the mouth of God and heading back toward earth. It's so weird sharing these things. Kind of like a missile. A brilliant, sparkling, white light. Colors trailing behind. I see I just impact the earth with great power. And three things happened simultaneously on the impact. There was this ripple that went throughout time and space at the point of impact. Next, I see trails of light go from that place to the other side of the earth. And finally, I saw light, uh, the light that I carried, this brilliant, bright light that was on me, that it would light other people's lights. It would light them up. And that they would then have this light, and they would be launched to other places in the earth. I knew that some were from my church. I knew that some were people from other places. It's kind of funny, and think about it now. From seven years ago, a lot of people who were in that church, they're all over the place now. They moved all over. So it was amazing. It was just an amazing day. And so this is what I know. I know that this is about the Father's love. It's from the very heart of God. I know that it was given to me to set captives free and to help launch people into their destinies. I know that I know that there is this light, this fire that I carried back with me. And that it's the message of his love that consumes me to this day. Can you see that? It consumes me even more seven years later. It's a fiery passion in my heart that hasn't diminished at all. And so at this point, I recover from the experience. I'm no longer in the spirit. I'm back in the natural realm. I'm on my face in the center of the cabin in Montana, in Whitefish. So I get up and I quickly grab my journal and I write everything down. This book right here. It's fun to be reading it again. I have to tell you, it took me days to recover emotionally from the experience. I don't know how I got through the wedding ceremony that night. I was so undone. It was like my brain was scrambled. For days afterwards, just thinking about it would instantly bring me to tears. It took me days before I could tell Nadine. And I told my daughter and eventually told some close friends. So what does it all mean? I'm discovering a little bit more as time goes by. Understanding is coming, but I have to confess, I don't know understanding completely. And I'm comfortable with that. I trust God. But this is what I know. His love for us is overwhelming. His love for us is comforting. His love for us is safe. His love for us is secure. He knows what he's doing. And he'll bring his purposes to pass. This experience just spoke to me profoundly about the love of God. That it's huge. His love is massive. 
that it's extraordinarily liberating. That his love brings with it astonishing freedom. It tells me that he's incredibly generous. He's not cheap. He ain't giving out just little bits of the time. It tells me that his love is mind-blowingly amazing. Remember, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. This was a powerful experience, but I gotta tell you what, it was only the beginning. God is so big. I've had dozens and dozens of visions since then. It was only the beginning. So, now having heard this story, my experience, would you listen again to Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, that we started with? With all this in mind, listen to these words again. Paul prays, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that get this, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, this was beyond my imagination, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh Lord, I want that. Father God, I pray today for myself, for my friends here, for all the members of Community Church, wherever they are today. Lord, give us what Paul prayed for, for the church at Ephesus in chapter 3 of his epistle. Give us this. Give us this, Lord. I pray that we would be rooted and established in love. I pray that we would know how long and high and wide and deep your love really is. Lord, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine because of your awesomeness, because of your great love and your nature and your character. Lord, would you pour your spirit out upon us like this? Would you make of us a people who live loved? Would you make of us a people who live love? And would you make of us a people who live supernaturally in the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, so sometimes when I share these stories, I feel a stirring in the spirit in my heart. And, um, and I, can feel, um, I can feel a sense of anointing on my hands. And so if you would like some of this, <laughs> I, I'm a spiritual amoeba, right? I'm a baby. I have very little. But if you want a little bit of what I have, I've been freely given to me. I'd be happy to give some to you. So if you'd like me to pray for you this morning, there could be some impartation of the Spirit to you. I'd be happy to do that. So if you guys could just line up in the front. 
here, I'll be happy to pray for you. The rest of you guys, I love you dearly. Enjoy the, the rest of this holiday weekend uh, with family and friends, and we'll see you throughout the week.